The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. Recognizing the unsung heroes of sports media. I'm stuck in this pit, working for less than slave wages, working on my day off. This is the Producers Podcast with Brady Farkas. I'm the executive producer. Oh, you're the executive producer. And it starts now. Welcome back into another edition of the Barrett Sports Media Producers Podcast. Today we're joined by AJ Speaks, who's the lead guy for the Miami Heat television broadcast from the producer standpoint. With a name like AJ Speaks, was he just destined to be in broadcasting? We get that answer. I go just about over the assorted time limit because AJ was so awesome. So can't wait to hear all of his stories that he's gone through multiple iterations of the Miami Heat franchise. And What happens to a local broadcast when the game goes national? Enjoy AJ Speaks of the Miami Heat. Right off the bat, with a name like AJ Speaks, it had to be pre, it was destiny you were going to end up in the broadcasting field. It was not a stage name and I've just been duped. No, that's my name, man. And and you're right. All my whole life, I thought that I would be uh, doing what you're doing. I thought I would be, you know, in front of the camera, in front of the microphone. And it's funny how life uh, happens and I end up behind the microphone and producing. And so, uh, but my whole life, you know, I talked a lot as a kid. I gave the teacher the finger in kindergarten and I knew I was going to be in trouble from that moment on. And, uh, you know, speaking has been my way of life. And so you are correct. This (laughs) has been something that I enjoy doing. And for me in in the industry that we're in now, I still speak, but I do it in a different way, and we can get into that in a little bit. You know, it's crazy because when this comes out, the NBA season will have fully started. The Heat will have been in action. I feel like the NBA offseason is so, so short, and especially for the Heat having gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals, it was probably extra short for you. I feel like you probably didn't get much time off this summer. You you know, you learn how to navigate that. I've been doing this a long time, and so, you know, at first it can consume you. But what you learn is that you, it's a blessing to be able to play until June or uh, be able to have a team that's, that's good because you, you've dealt with the, the alternative, which is your season ending April 10th and knowing that you have a long break and you're sort of like questioning like, all right, you know, I'm only doing this for a little bit. But for with this organization, the way it's set up from top to bottom, you know that you're going to go for a long time and it's fun. You know, Pat Riley says all the time, we work in the toy department of sports. He, like it, it is it is what we do. So there's no reason to worry about the off season. You deal with the off season and the off season. And then what you do is you really enjoy it. You know, I take July and August and I truly enjoy July and August and that I make the most of it. So now when it's go time, you just amp back up, you know, and it's what we do. So as we're recording this, we're getting ready for a broadcast tomorrow. And, you know, I'm excited about it because it's our opening night broadcast. And so, you know, it's just, even though this is my 21st season, it's still the same joy that I had when it was my first season and D-Wade wasn't even on the team. <laughs> Nerdy broadcasting question while I'm thinking of it. In the playoffs, the, the broadcasts go to national broadcasts, ESPN, ABC, TNT, etc. What do you do in that time? Are you still generating content for the team? Are you traveling with the team? So what exactly is happening when it goes to a national broadcast? Excellent nerdy question. So I'll give you a nerdy <laughs> answer. 
So, uh, as you know, uh, we're allowed to, the regional broadcasts are allowed to do the first round of the playoffs. Yes. So, we all do the first round of the, of the playoffs if we make it. Now, what we've done as an organization, if we've, we've, all, we've always found a way to stay relevant and create content. So, in the second round, third round, we've always done pregame shows and postgame shows that generate from Miami and create content for, it used to be for our website. So, I'll take you back to LeBron's years. We used to create this heat tv on heat.com so this mm -hmm. was right when facebook all that stuff had blown up and then you know we everybody was still using the internet so we created a show that would come up one live on the internet an hour before uh the game would start and it did really well our numbers were bonkers like it was crazy and it was not local it was our numbers in uh the Philippines, because the Spolster were huge, but our numbers in Australia were huge. So then we created all this content and it became something that we did. So our, our pregame show and we started getting guests from all we would get Charles Barkley. We would get all these people for an Internet pregame show. We had all these people coming on our show. So then that became what we did during the offseason. And then on the postgame side, we would do a show that would air on our regional broadcast network. So on Valley Sports. And so this year we did the same thing. We didn't do the internet show because that's kind of died down and those numbers aren't the same as it used to be. And so what we did was we focused on post game. So we created content for the post game and we did you know, all the way through. It's so fascinating too, because so I, I live up in new England, right? So as we speak, I'm watching Celtics opening night basketball and the game's on TNT, but it's also on NBC sports, Boston. And I always will defer to the local broadcast, the regional broadcast, NBC Sports Boston. When you have a game that is on both networks at the same time, what do you do on the local side to differentiate it from the national broadcast? That started – these are very good questions. That started years ago. So what we did was – and I'm going to go back to when Facebook started to get popular and social media started to get popular – we did something that was wise. We embraced that. We had our announcers embrace it. We had them really tap into connecting with the fans. And we did that for the main reason that when we went up against ESPN and TNT, our fans wanted to listen to our announcers and our broadcasters because they had a connection with them. They weren't connected to these national broadcasters and they were rotating in all these different national broadcasters. Well, on top of that, we were a really good team. So now our, our announcers and our broadcast and our crew became a part of that fabric or that culture, if you will, with the Miami Heat. And now it's embedded. So, you know, there are games against certain TNT or ESPN. ESPN really, no. Uh, so, sometimes because of TNT, because of their halftime show, they, you know, because of that talent that they just paid a bunch of money to, <laughs> they attract a lot of people that want to hear what they have to say. But to answer your question, the differentiation is we know the team. You know, I, we travel with the team. We tell stories that they don't know. And actually, the way that those national shows prepare for their game is by watching us. So then you can see that they watch our broadcast. They look at our graphics. They look at our storytelling. And then their announcers will come in and say, hey, you know, this is how we prepared for whatever. I'll tell you a quick story. The year that I first started producing was the, the Heat won 15 games. They won 15 games. They were terrible. But it was the year that I learned the most because I had to work so hard, man. Like you can either give it give layups and make it easy and, and not really produce or do any of those things. Or you could take the bull by the horns and really try to grind. And that's what we did. Our executive director, Ted Ballard, wouldn't let us do it any other way. So we just went hard. 
and the best compliment came at the end of the season. We had 13 wins. Toronto came into town, and Mike Tirico was doing the game, and he was like, I watched Joe's broadcast, and he was telling our announcer, Eric, read this. I watched your broadcast, and you guys do a lot of work, even though you only have 13 <laughs> wins. And I learned at that moment, he didn't even know me. I'm just sitting there watching, listening to the conversation. And at that moment, like, it doesn't matter. If we have 13 wins, if we have 60 wins, we as producers have to bring the same energy. We have to do the same thing consistently for our fans. And by doing that, our fans know we're going to bring it. So we're going to we're going to do work that's going to be different from those from the national broadcast, because that's what we do. I think you're the first person. No, you're definitely the first guest on the show that's been in this situation. So I'm going to ask you now, what was it like 2020, the heater in the bubble, the, the, the broadcast teams can't travel in there. The heat make the finals that year. What was it like trying to produce the broadcast remotely from the bubble? Weird. Like, yeah. I'll be honest with you because you, you spoke on something, our off season, July is usually our off season, right? So instead of, you know, being in the off season, we were preparing for what we didn't know was going to how it was going to work. So I remember being mid July, like sitting in there by myself in the office, like preparing, like all right, this is how we're going to do the storytelling. Now I don't want it to seem like I was doing all of it. We had a crew that was dealing with the technical side of things, so we had to set up. We had a setup that was like no other, and and it's because that's again that's what we do. So we had the floor we were fortunate to be able to have our court down we had our announcers on the court we put up monitors for them to be able to call the game from there we were able to you know use all of our different connections that we have in the building technical connections to make it feel as real as possible we did not want the viewer at home to feel like it was a remote broadcast and we did a really good job probably too good of a job because now (laughs) they've turned all this to hey everybody's going to do these remote broadcasts yeah, so you look like you had a question, so I'll stop for a second. No, I was going to ask you. I'm just thinking you've been doing this for 21 years now. This will be your 21st season. And I just was wondering, what are the steps on the rung of the ladder to get to where you are now? Like if someone wants to eventually be in your position, what are the skills they need to acquire along the way? I'll go that path. I'll follow you the skills because to me it's all about – storytelling it's about for me i love basketball basketball is my first love does it have to be your first love it doesn't but it's easy for me because it's my first love and college basketball is my first love but at this level you're dealing with the highest of the high you know what i mean so you get to watch the greats play so for me that energizes me so in order to do this you have to have a passion about what you're doing because otherwise it can burn you out or you can get frustrated but for me you know, I started off volunteering, basically, you know, they were giving me next to nothing as far as money goes. And I just did it. You know, I had a master's degree. It didn't matter. I was doing $10 an hour and I was just figuring out how to edit, how to do stuff, do whatever. I would stay till four in the morning. I just did everything that was asked of me. And on my birthday, the heat traded for Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I was getting ready to move back to New York. And then they said, hey, Shaq is, Shaq is coming. I'm, like, I'm going to stay. And it changed everything. And I just kept trying to prove myself and constantly every opportunity that was given to me. Hey, I could do that. Hey, I could do that. I could figure this out and just kept grinding and grinding. So I know it's a little cliche, but the real lesson that I always tell the students when I speak to them is that you have you can't get too far ahead of yourself and think about where you want to get to. You need to own and master whatever that task is that you're given today. If you do that, 
then you get the next task. You own that task and you just keep mastering the craft. And once that happens, opportunities should come your way. Now you're going to have to go create some of those opportunities and you have to be smart about that. But you have to master that craft and whatever you're giving at that moment and you'll be all right. You have covered multiple NBA finals and multiple different iterations of the Heat's roster and the the, the three-peat team or the LeBron age team, all that. You also covered the Olympics, Tokyo Olympics, COVID Olympics. I'm just curious about what that experience was like for you. I was fortunate. Travis Henderson, the uh, Utah Jazz director, producer, uh, he's done it for since 2004. And he asked me, and here's a lesson. He asked me if I would go be not the producer, if I would be like a, a tape AD uh, for the Olympics in Japan. And I said, yes, I wasn't above, it wasn't above me to be able to do that role, even though it's a title that's not my title. I'm like, cool, I'll do it. Well, circumstances happened and the producer had to bail and he's like, hey, will you produce? I'm like, of course <laughs> I'll produce. And so then I slid right into that role. And to be honest with you, it was always a dream of mine to work the Olympics you know, I had gone to the Olympics in Australia as a fan on my own, but I had and I had told myself I always want to go to the Olympics every four years if I can. And I wasn't able to. Life just happened. But this this opportunity presented itself and I jumped on it. And so then producing it was easy because it's just basketball. And what Travis did that was really smart was he got all basketball people and put them in the basketball venue and that's just what we do. We could all do it in our sleep. Now, we had to get through the people that are around the Olympics all the time. And they put together the Olympics. We had to get on the same page with them. That was the only challenging part because they didn't know who we were. But once all the powers that be saw our production, they're like, hey, these people know what they're doing. Like, yeah, it's just basketball. Like, it doesn't matter. It's basketball. So that's what we did. The women. And it was fun. I had a whole new respect for Olympic basketball. I used to be a person that didn't like, I'll be honest with you, I didn't like third place games. I'm like, yeah, why are we playing third place games? Man? Why are we playing for bronze? But when you're there and you see how much it means to Australia, and I think it was how much it meant to France women's team to win that bronze, like it totally changes. It changed my perception on that. Totally. So my job as a producer is to try to make sure that comes across on TV. And so we did that with the women's Japanese team who took over the country and they were so much fun to watch. And when they lost, when they won to go to the gold medal game against USA, they knew they were going to lose. But our job was to cover it. So I covered the heck out of it and we just let it breathe. And it was just fun. And I was like, so energized. You would have thought it was a finals game. But that's the way we treated it, because all of us had covered basketball at a high level. Twenty one years with the heat. I know you also did some work for the dolphins on local TV in the preseason, et cetera. So all your years around sports, who are some of the best characters you've been around? Not necessarily the best players or the best moments. Some of the best characters you've been around. Shaq off jump is at the top of the list of characters. I won't bore you with the stories because I have plenty, but Shaq <laughs> is crazy and he was fun and he was, he was great to be around. LeBron is a character. You know, once he takes his guard down and he allows the people to be in, and I wasn't necessarily in his circle, but because I traveled, I was around and I saw all of the things that he was. He was a character. Uh, I want to give you one from another sport. Oh, uh, from the Marlins, Hanley Ramirez, hmm. character. You know him up there. I knew him when he was with Boston as a minor leaguer. Then I, I saw him again when he moved to the Marlins and 
he's quite the character. Uh, Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera, quite yeah. the character. Those, those are some of the people that I can think of. I shouldn't be able to give you a dolphin, but Jason Taylor's not a character. He's just a good dude. You know, he's, he's a really good dude. But uh, that's all I got for you for that one. I'm trying to think the, the, the pre-LeBron heat. Like when I first started getting into basketball mid-90s, I'm thinking Eddie Jones, Jamal Mashburn, Tim Hardaway, Dan Marley, Bashawn no. Leonard. Those are the guys I'm thinking of from yep. back in the day. I love it. Right team. Yeah, T- Tim's a Tim. Tim is a character. Tim is hilarious. Uh, but he was right before me. So my first year was Karan Butler. It was uh-huh. his first year, and then my second year was D Wade's first year. And Udonis Haslam would cuss me out if I didn't call him a character. So he's definitely on the character <laughs> list. Uh, he, he's hilarious. Um, and he would be. Those two were my second year uh, with the Heat. And so for me. Seeing this be Udonis's 20th year, you know, we came up together, you know what I mean? And I would see him out and about, and you know, and he's just, he treats us like brothers, like he, we're part of the group, you know? And, and so for me, being able to do this so long, I don't take that for granted because every year could be your last. And I treat it that way. I go into this season like, hey, I know contractually I could still be around, but like every year could be your last. So you just got to, you got to, you got to embrace it. I'll get you out of here on these two kind of fun, rapid-fire-ish questions. I think the answer for most NBA players, which city they love to go to the most, for them, Miami is the answer for most of them. For you, where's the NBA city you like to most travel to that's not your own? Good question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take – I'm going to remove New York because I didn't grow up there, but I went to school there, and my friends are all there. So okay. that one – I'm going to remove that just because that's like home for me. Uh, so I'm going to tell you when we started traveling, Seattle was my favorite city to go to because it was so different. It was fun. Uh, Toronto has become one of my favorite cities to go to. It's freezing, but it's so eclectic. And there's so many different people and, and races and food and co- all that stuff that I truly enjoy going to uh, Toronto. And then doing baseball, I love going to San Diego. You know, you, the weather in San Diego is almost perfect, you know, so when you get to go out there and you stay for baseball, you stay for a series for three games and you're just chilling, like that. that is a very enjoyable city to travel to. But I, I have one thing. The one good part about about the NBA, though, was being able to see, like you, you grew up in, the, in watching those teams, being able to walk on the court in Portland, to be able to go to the old Sacramento court and walk on the court, you know, mm-hmm. To be able to go to, you know, Shea Stadium back in the day and walk on the field and stand in right field and go, you know, to these football stadiums and go to the Bear Stadium and, and stand on the field. Like, I enjoy that. Like, I make it, uh, I make sure I go out there and I walk around for a little bit and just take it all in. And that's what energizes me. That game day is like, all right, cool. I'm in the Staples Center. Lakers are about to play. Let me go back to this <laughs> truck. But, you know, let me get energized first and, and take all of this in and then put it on TV. What's the hardest NBA arena to do a broadcast from? You know, worst sight lines, worst vantage point, press spot. Not the worst city, not that, just nah, hardest nah, place to do a broadcast from. That's a good question. Um, it, I don't want to throw any city under the bus, but I, I'll say this. A lot of them have improved, which, which, which has not been good is that they're selling all these seats on the floor so our announcers keep getting moved up and so it becomes hard sight lines for them so 
I could tell you Washington, but Washington's a great arena, but they were just first. They moved everybody up early, so it's hard, you know. So, you know, Charlotte's moved everybody up. We have moved our announcers up. You know, those seats are extremely valuable. So, you know, that makes it hard. But the buildings themselves have all been updated. You know, you could probably say Oklahoma City, it's an older building, but it's not bad, you know. So I don't want to say anybody, any places like it used to be, like going to some of these old stadiums, going to the Meadowlands where I went to college, where I got two degrees was awful. I hated going to the Meadowlands. That place was a dump and it needed to be torn down. And so eventually, you know, they got rid of it. So that was one of those, those older buildings like that, they, they weren't any good, but now they're all, they're all fairly, you just got to deal with technical things here and there. AJ, man, I appreciate it. I could do this all day, but the company gives me a 20 minute max limit. So uh, I'm a producer. I see the clock going, so you don't have to tell me nothing. I'll count your ear if you want me to. Three, uh, two, one. No, I'm joking. AJ, man, I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, cool, Brady. Anytime. Yeah, AJ was awesome. I could have talked to him for an hour. But again, they do tell me to keep it 20 minutes or less. So we had to let AJ go. But I could have listened to stories about Shaq all day. I could have listened to stories about D. Wade all day. I didn't even get to ask him about LeBron. So a lot of good stuff there and a lot of good insight into what happened in the NBA bubble, what it's like to broadcast from certain NBA arenas in certain NBA cities. Again, AJ Speaks, Miami Heat, he was awesome and had some really good advice, as all of our producers do, for young producers and kind of how to break into the business. Loved his story about what he was willing to do at the Olympics, said that no job was below him. He just wanted to be there. You don't want to believe it, but maybe the show is over. Thank you for listening to the Producers Podcast. To enjoy past and future episodes, check out iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, the iHeart app, and BarrettSportsMedia.com.